Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Friday's edition of Ask Briar. So, it's been a pretty fucking disappointing week, isn't it? Between RBG and the disappointment that was the Brianna Taylor, not even anything. I we're all feeling pretty heavy right now. There's a lot of weight in the world, and there's always a lot of weight in the world, especially right now with COVID and everything else that's been going on in our lives. But there's just this progressively stacked weight of grief, which I have some experience with. So for those of you who may not know my story, I always assume that people don't know me. When I was 36 weeks pregnant with my third child, I had a complete placental abruption and a full-term stillbirth. And I very nearly bled to death. I lost the baby. It was, it was a fun time. This will be uh, six years coming up on October 8th. October is always kind of a really rough month for me because it used to be my favorite. Fall is such an incredible season of anticipation and just the changing of the seasons and the crossing over into the threshold of autumn has always been my favorite time. Halloween is my favorite pagan holiday. It's just, it's my favorite time of year. And now it's stacked with the weight of grief and loss and longing. When my son died, we, you know, I went to the hospital expecting to come home with a baby and came home with no baby. And there were all these little things in the days after, things that I had expected to do or had planned for that were suddenly non-existent. I had these little tiny socks and this little tiny orange pumpkin Halloween costume that I had planned on carrying a little tiny baby around and potentially for his first Halloween. 
I wasn't due until November, but babies come when babies come. So I had a Halloween costume. I've been very excited about it. And I had so many plans and hopes and dreams and expectations of what my life was going to be like with a baby that I didn't get to have. So I guess some of what I get asked most frequently is how we how we carry that whether it's personal grief whether it's you know and I haven't even talked about my mom who died when I was 21 and my daughter was barely six months old so there's a lot of grief and trauma and very important places in my life where I haven't really had a whole lot of external support because my mom died when I was so young because I don't communicate with my father I did not have much in the way of familial support when my son died I turned to my online community they were incredibly supportive they raised money they you know sent food but there was no one really close by who I could call on to watch my children so that I could go cry in a shower and when there isn't a safety net we're kind of forced to create and build these things for ourselves and I look at this past year at what has happened this past year and it feels very similar there's just been this oppressive crushing weight of things and it kind of stacks so obviously when my son died there was the immediate aftermath. My mother-in-law paid for the funeral. I still have what I affectionately call as dead baby debt, the medical bills. And the grief of administration of death, that's a whole, fuck, that's a whole nother ballgame. But in the immediate aftermath there are these little tiny things that stack up so it was finding the costume it was having to put away another piece of baby clothing it was trying to figure out what i would wear or what my children would wear it was going to that halloween party without the little tiny pumpkin it was all these events that I had planned and anticipated and expected that were coming in my life that were not there. And this year has, yeah, there's just been these stacks, right? Waves of we've had first, obviously it was shut down and Corona and the things that have gone on since then because of the virus. But we had, the year started with Australia on fire. Now the West Coast is on fire. 
We've had a tremendous amount of loss and death. There's been natural disasters, obviously, as a result of planetary instability and global warming and our inability to care for our planet. And so these things stack and stack and stack. And then on personal levels, there's whatever trauma we feel around political instability, regardless of what side you might be on. And the potential for conflict there that seems to be stacking ever increasingly closer as we go towards an election. And as we move into October and November and December, I am really reminded by those days for me in the beginning when I had to figure out how to restructure my life with this terrible weighty loss. So one of the things for me in particular was that I suffered from anemia. And so I was mostly on bed rest for months after and I was just exhausted all of the time. And I was trying to eat food when I couldn't manage to cook food. So my diet was pretty terrible and I had to order in a lot of things. And Finally, my husband was like, we have to do something better. So it was meal prepping on the weekends. I think that was about after about the first month. And then there were other little layers figuring out my wardrobe. Because, I mean, just walking into my closet was potentially traumatic with little tiny baby clothes in there. There were just all these little triggers. And when we have the little triggers, we have to build in the care practices that allow us to move through the weight with as much ease as possible, right? It's about, it's always about making things easier. In, I think, the first couple of days after we came home from the hospital, one of the first things we did was take a trip to Walmart, because I guess that's where the great American place of stability, right? Go to Walmart. I needed to get out of the house. And I needed a motorized cart. Because I'd just been through this incredibly traumatic experience of childbirth and couldn't move very well. So we went to Walmart and I was sitting on the motorized cart and I drove past this display of stuffed animals and I instinctively went and grabbed one. I will have to put up a picture of Bob. Bob is still with me. Bob is kind of tattered after six years, but there is a physiological thing that happens when you are pregnant 
the tendons in the back of your arms tighten to manage for the girth of having this big pregnant belly. And your body expects that after you have birthed this child, you'll be able to apply weight in your arms from holding and carrying a baby because that stretches those tendons back out. And that's this little process that doesn't happen when you don't have a baby. And so there was just this constant for women who suffer either a late term loss like I did or an early loss. There's just this incredible emptiness in the arms, right? We're supposed to have a baby. We don't have a baby. And there's physiological, biological components to that. There is the tendons in the arms, obviously, but we're supposed to have that weight up against our heart as well to help regulate our center of gravity as we switch back to not having a baby in our bodies. And because we don't, this happens to women who have infants in NICU as well. So when we don't have that baby and we don't have that physical pull back into ourselves, there's a real, it's grief made physically manifest. It was the physical manifestation of the fact that I didn't have my son. So I was drawn to Bob the Bear, who became my stalwart bedtime companion ever since. Because grief brings us back to our inner childhood. And if we allow that to happen, it is a much easier process to guide ourselves through. Bob, Bob was weight in my arms, physiologically, emotionally, he was very much a comfort and support. I could squeeze the life out of him when my cat was unavailable or one of my other children were unavailable. I had the ability to cry into his stuffed fur when I needed someone and needed to be alone. And when we embrace those inner childlike tendencies around our grief, again, that process goes faster. One of the things, obviously therapy was a big part of this for me. And for people who are going through grief in a traditional way that is probably recommended, what the fuck do we do now, right? Teletherapy has been pretty successful for a lot of people I've known. I'm actually on the hunt for another teletherapist myself, I feel it is time. But when you don't have therapy as an option, there still has to be the therapeutic process. And even when you have a therapist, 
therapy is an incredible luxury of privilege that we don't often talk about. But in every country, there is no good mental health care system. And grief in particular is something that we have a lot of trouble dealing with on both a personal level, a societal level, an institutional level. There are few good constructs. We create them over time and then they kind of support or don't support themselves and then fall apart and crumble and die. For example, when my son died, I looked into local support groups and there were actually quite a few available. They just weren't known to me. Even in the age of the internet, not everything is locally findable, findable or available if people don't have knowledge of the thing, right? So even if there's support or structure around, it is typically inaccessible to the people who need it. And the admin of grief is trying to figure all of this shit out when you are burdened by this overwhelming sadness, when you are stuck with feeling that weight and feeling like you can't get out of it. Grief is love with nowhere to go. It's one of my favorite sayings. And I think that it applies to us here now in this time. There's a lot of love for our people and our communities and our planet. And it's got this great sense of burden to it. And because we can feel it and we have no outlet for it, there's not a removal or a release that we can allow ourselves to feel. Beyond therapy, since that's not necessarily going to be an option, I often advise journaling. And therapy journals on Etsy are fucking fantastic. I will try and remember to come back through and link them. There are therapy journals for depression, for grief, for trauma, for just about every spectrum of mental health that you could ask for. And they're not expensive. They're PDFs. You print them out. You do the work. It's a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy for the most part, which done well can actually be done on your own. There are great CBT workbooks. DBT is much harder to do by yourself, but CBT is pretty easy to guide yourself through in a workbook or journal style fashion so that you're getting the cognitive benefits of talk therapy without not necessarily having someone to talk with. So I had my journals. I mean, I've always had my journals. I am a journaler of way back. But this was a very conscious effort for me to process as much as I could, as 
regularly as I could because I knew that not processing it was just going to make it worse. When my mom died, I was 21 years old. I had a six-month-old baby, and I went a little crazy. My mother and I did not have a great relationship under good circumstances. Two weeks prior to her death, she called me to borrow money to bail out her boyfriend. I said no. She called me, I'm not going to say it, a lot of four-letter words. <laughs> Hung up on me, and that was the last time we spoke. So when she died, there was, God, there was a lot of weight. I had this incredible sense of unfinished business, these conversations that I never got to have with her, the things that didn't get said. And I also had this small child that I had no idea. I was 21 years old. I had no idea how to be a mother. And my mother had just died. I had no idea what to do. Thank God we had decent health care because if I hadn't had a therapist, if I hadn't had the ability to see someone regularly, I would have had to have been committed for postpartum psychosis. As it was, that went undiagnosed. They just thought it was PPD and that I was bipolar and that just things weren't working right. It wasn't until many years later where I went, you really, you didn't think the things that I was thinking about doing to my child were great? Ooh, mental health care, man. Even under good circumstances, when we have it, doesn't mean that we're hitting the right notes. So knowing what I know about my own processes and about having to move through that grief and having to move through that loss, I was very conscious about building in these practices. I had regular therapy appointments. I journaled as much as I could daily. I had Bob I had my sanctuary. So my bedroom, I have rheumatoid arthritis, for those of you who do not know. My bedroom is frequently my sanctuary. I work from bed frequently because I cannot often make it to my office in this. Oh my God, this chair is so uncomfortable. And it's a good chair. I work from bed a lot. And in the days and weeks after my son died, and I was still trying to carry on as though things were, well, not normal, but still trying to carry on, it became readily apparent to me that I needed to elevate the space. So after the funeral I had just got these mounds of and I and I asked I'm not a big fan of live flowers because they die and I feel bad about throwing them away and so they decay and then they make me wheeze so what I had asked for instead were live plants and I'd been given them and they ended up 
stacked on my dresser and on my bookcase and on my husband's dresser and they just kind of cascaded around the room and I had this little jungle and then my internet friends sent me wonderful little things I have statuettes of my family with a little angel baby I have this amazing little angel that's <clears throat> made out of felted wool there's the little baby hat that my son wore there's the pillar candle that we used at his memorial so I built this shrine around a picture of it's a picture of me holding his hand because I wanted something physical of him there with the urn with his ashes but I didn't want it to be overwhelming right because one of the things when we're looking at grief is that we have to poke it we have to come and touch it and needle around it with sticks but we also want it to be a place where potentially there is joy so <clears throat> I built it around this picture I built it around this candle and this hat and these totems and artifacts and living plants because I needed my bedroom to be my sanctuary I needed to have a physical shrine where I could leave mementos and where I kept his urn with his ashes it's still there right up there on my bookcase I have over the years really established a practice for this so on his birthday coming up I will change out the altar cloth and I will change the decorations it's fall I have a little tiny tree that I pull out at Christmas I have flowers that my children have given me for Mother's Day just various mementos that go up in the spring so that there's this sense of incorporation of him into our life and into our traditions with people who are not immediately dealing with infant loss I still recommend some kind of altar or shrine we are very physically connected to these elements or practices and in the United States in particular we don't have them one of the things that fascinated me when I began researching these practices was how universal I mean stillbirth miscarriage infant loss it's a universal constant for many of us and yet we do not have traditions that have universally carried over in our country in Japan there are little shrines in the cemeteries specifically for the lost children so that you can collectively go and leave things we have uh, in Dia de Muertos there is specifically a day for the lost infants 
right? So there's this tradition of honoring, celebrating. We have none of that here. And so when we lose a child, we neglect to celebrate the important aspects or anniversaries or really grieve in any meaningful way that allows us to make peace with those things. So when we are dealing with collective grief and collective loss on the scale that we have here right now with 200,000 people dead in this country of COVID, there's gotta be a place in your own life where you can go to feel these feelings and then set them aside. To be deliberate about your grief, to be deliberate about the loss that you feel allows you to let it go or to carry it in a different way, right? It's been six years. It's never going away. One of the cards that I received after my son died was from an old church friend who uh, said that I would never forget that after 60 years, they had not. And that part stuck. You never, it never gets easier. It never goes away. You just learn to carry it in different ways. So when we are carrying collective grief, it is important to be able to feel those feelings and then set them aside in a way that we are not carrying them into our everyday life. When we are feeling grief and it's such a burden, it's important to have these rituals of care Yes, and we have to have traditions of self-care for home and meals and wellness and feeling the feelings. But we also have to have really deliberate practices of setting those things aside and then coming back. I like to think of it... <clears throat> A bit like a wave, right? There's a Reddit thread that's been floating around for a few years. Grief is a wave and it crests in pretty hard and heavy, a bit like a tsunami in the immediate aftermath of loss. And then over time, those waves decrease, they slow down. They come at us unexpectedly, but there are other times, right, where we've got this anniversary coming, where I can say, I know exactly what I'm going to need to prepare for the next several weeks for me. I know what I'm going to need to build into my world. And I do know, for me, I need TV. I need new books. I need new activities. I'm going to spend 
October 6th, 7th, and 8th in this really kind of horrible memory cocoon where I can't help but feel and remember. It's just the way those days go for me. I don't think that's ever going to stop. And so I want distraction. I know that I will need it. I will build it in. And as I build it in, I, whatever matters to you, the, and what works for me isn't going to work for you. The politician, I'm eagerly awaiting it, actually. I'm looking forward to it. So that's kind of a weird thing. But I get to look forward to something in the midst of this. Whatever it is, you have to build in these rituals and traditions in a way that allow you to laugh again, to feel joy again, to have faith again. That one's pretty hard. Coming back to faith, that one's, that one's always a struggle in the aftermath of grief. And I know that the ways in which we build these things are individually very different. But the upshot is that it has to be simple. So I come back to this point over and over and over and over again in my life. Just keep it simple. What are the easiest ways to care for yourself that make you feel loved. I have this fuzzy purple cardigan that I will be wearing even if it's not quite cold enough yet. There's comfort foods, right? For me, that's French onion soup, soups of all kinds. And I'm fortunate that it's October, so I'm feeling okay about breaking out the soups. And Next week, I'll pre-cook two or three big batches of my favorites so that when it's time and I know that I'm going to be stuck in this period of needing to be cared for, past Briar will have done the work, right? So we build those in. And we build them into our lives. We build them into our self-care practices. We certainly build them into our business. And God, I can't believe that I can turn this into a pitch. But in fact, I can turn this into a pitch. So check this out, y'all. I <laughs> am coming into this point of October where things are heavy for me. I reduced almost all of my offerings. I still have the funnel. I have these things. And I have other things that I will sell and do for you if you approach me. But the only thing that I am actively selling right now are the funnel maps, which are the point A to point B with the to-do list for you to do and check off. And this is what the rest of the year looks like for you. The next three months looks like for you. For me, this was very strategic. I am able to say this is the one and only thing that I am focused on selling the next two to three weeks of my life are going to be difficult. I have content mostly laid out. 
I have topical ideas so that even though I am taking a significant amount of time off, my business will still be able to do the things that it needs to do to sustain me and nourish me. I've built those rituals of self-care into my life, to my business. And we keep going. We simplify. Whether it is your life, whether it's your business, whether it's your daily habits, whatever you can do to make them feel most blissfully whole, that's what you should do. It's not, I, I really, I hesitate to give examples from my own life because they just don't really specifically translate. But when I make myself that cup of hot tea in the morning and I pour in the cream and I get to watch it bubble back up to the surface, there's a real joy and bliss for me in that 15 seconds. And I cultivate those moments all over my life in little ways because when I can find those small things in my daily practice, it makes it much easier to live with the weight and the grief and the loss as it continues on. And it will continue on. <laughs> Loath as I am to acknowledge that, that's just a reality and a fact of life. It's the end of September. My October is going to be what my October is, and then we're rolling right into an election. I, I can't fathom what the next three months are going to look like for any of us. All I know is that we have to be very mindful about how we're taking care of ourselves. And I love you all, and I want you to feel cared for right now no one else is doing it for you no one is picking you up and i mean some of you probably still have mommies but i haven't had a mommy for a long time i've had to mother myself for a long long time and the best ways that i know how to make that work for me are to make myself feel loved and cared for small things, little steps. I wish you well with them. Thank you guys for being here. I love you all. Bye.